0: The text today is from the letter of James, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Before we read these words, let us pray. Father God, help make us truly thankful for your many blessings, for the gift of your Son, for the Holy Spirit which from the first Pentecost has flooded the hearts of of those who you have chosen. We thank you for your word, which is inerrant and infallible, but which can only be understood through your Holy Spirit. Help your Holy Spirit to be with us, to indwell us, and have us see from these words what you would have us see and hear what you would have us hear. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Now in the passage that Walt just read, we find the words... Law of liberty, or perfect law of liberty. Now, liberty is a loaded word, and it generally has a very positive connotation, especially here in America, where it was a buzzword for the American Revolution. After all, it was Patrick Henry who said, give me liberty or give me Oh, you did well in history, I can tell. But we cannot help but associate liberty with democratic ideals. Our Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So the use of the word liberty here in the Declaration of Independence, of course, refers to Jeffersonian democracy. Some people call it liberal democracy. And so by saying liberal democracy, I don't mean liberal as associated with the political left. Rather, I mean the type of political system that believes in participatory democracy and the rule of law and free elections and limited government. There are actually three views of liberty that I would like to talk about today. There is the modern notion of liberty. There is the ancient notion of liberty, and then there is the biblical notion of liberty that we read about today in the epistle of James. Now, this is a very important message because many Christians have associated themselves with a notion of liberty that is not entirely Christian. Liberty associated with Our Declaration of Independence and Jeffersonian Democracy is actually a combination of all three kinds of liberty that we're going to talk about today, both modern and ancient and biblical. You may not know this, but the modern notion of liberty actually has its roots in the Enlightenment, which is about 300 years old. But let's consider first the modern notion of liberty. We'll begin with the modern notion of liberty, and then we're going to work backwards, and we're going to end today with our text and talk about the biblical notion of liberty. Now, a good definition of the modern notion of liberty can be found in the landmark Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood v. Casey. In this case, the court upheld the right for a woman to have an abortion, which had been established almost two decades earlier in Roe v. Wade. Justice Anthony Kennedy summed up the majority opinion in this 1992 case involving Planned Parenthood when he said this. He said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence or meaning of the universe and the mystery of human life. Now, please understand what Justice Kennedy was saying. He is saying that the autonomous self is the ultimate arbitrator of meaning that no force outside of yourself, no established authority, no prior commitments, not even nature itself, should hinder you from fulfilling your own desires, your own personal potential. Justice Kennedy's ruling went something like this. If you're carrying a baby inside of your body, and this is no longer consistent with your own desires on how you should live your life, then just remove that barrier because you get to define your own definition of existence, your own concept of life. So this is the modern view of liberty. This view of liberty could be applied in many different ways. For example, if you're in a marriage and you're no longer happy, then you just remove that barrier because you ultimately determine the meaning for your own life. This idea is actually captured in a song written in the 1970s. Some of you are about my age, and so you'll remember this song by Paul Simon called 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. You make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. You just set yourself free. You hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. You drop off the key, Lee, and set yourself free. The modern notion of liberty says that you should be able to act upon your strongest desires to change the course of your life whenever those desires shift. According to Philip Johnston, a Christian who has written and spoken about these issues, he says there are three basic principles of the modern notion of liberty. Here's what they are. Number one, no one should stand in my way in getting what I want. Two, if anyone or anything stands in my way of getting what I want, then it's deemed a form of oppression. Second, if I cannot get what I want, then I cannot be happy. Now, this modern notion of liberty is very prevalent in our culture. And we start being fed its pabulum when we're very young. Sometimes it comes through us through large entertainment conglomerates. I mean to cause no offense today, but the Disney Corporation has of late become a major contributor to the modern notion of liberty. Just think, just for a moment, about Elsa's signature song in Frozen. Let it go. She says... It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So we should not be too surprised that Disney is now taking a corporate pro-gay, pro-transgender stance, which is flowing over into their creative content. So Keep your eye on Disney because they're going to really change. I mean, it was the next logical step, right? And it's no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free philosophy. Both the legalization of same-sex marriage and the transgender movement operates under the perceived right to define one's own concept of existence and meaning. So the modern notion of liberty, or what it has developed into in our own culture, is not only found in large entertainment conglomerates, like Disney, but its tentacles now reach down into our educational and political institutions. My niece attends an elementary school in Missouri, where the children are now identifying as, are you ready, as animals. I believe the technical term for this phenomenon is called to be a furry The kids come to school dressed as a cat or a dog or a cartoon animal. And if they're having a bad day, they might hiss at you. And what's so sad is that the teachers at this school are required to recognize the children's trans-species identity. It's a crazy world that we live in. Now, I realize that that's an extreme example But again, the modern notion of liberty says that the autonomous self is the ultimate arbitrator of meaning, that no force outside of yourself, no established authority, no prior commitments, not even the limitations of nature, should hinder you from fulfilling your own desires, your own potential. By the way, this kind of thinking is not just found on the political left, it's also found on the political right. One conservative commentator says this, too many people who call themselves conservative share the same fundamental conviction of many liberals, namely that individual fulfillment is the point of life. While we've looked at the modern notion of liberty. Let's turn our attention to the ancient notion of liberty. Now, modern people, they don't want to be enslaved to anything. They want to keep all their options open. They deify the God of personal choice. If you were to say to a person living 500 years ago, hey, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of meaning in the universe. They would have looked at you and have said, what? Are you crazy? Many of the ancients understood, going all the way back to philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle, that human beings have all kinds of desires, some of which are good, and some of which are bad. They would distinguish between good desires, which they call virtues, and bad desires, which they call vices. For the ancients, liberty was the capacity to discern between harmful, self-destructive desires and beneficial, virtuous desires, and then choose the latter. Liberty, for the ancients, was living a life of self-mastery toward the common good. C.S. Lewis makes a big point about this in his book, The Abolition of Man. He said that most all ancient cultures understood there was, a such, a, there was such a thing called the greater good that existed outside of ourselves, which humans should conform themselves to, even if they fall short of it. Lewis says that in the past, most all cultures had expressions of the greater good in their texts and their beliefs and in their religions, things like do good and not ill to others and honor your parents and don't lie. He called this the Tao. The Roman statesman Cicero wrote, to live according to nature is a supreme good. So when the Roman emperor Caligula began to parade his wife around in front of the army in soldiers' clothing, and then when Caligula himself began to parade himself around in women's clothing, one observer managed to say this about him he was eager to appear to be anything rather than a human being and an emperor. So even in a pagan society like ancient Rome, there were enough people around to know the difference between what constituted a man and what constituted a woman. The Apostle Paul was able to make his critique of Roman culture, in Romans chapter 1, because there was already a pre-existing understanding of virtue. In essence, he was saying, you guys don't even live up to your own standards. So before we go to our last and point, which is the biblical notion of liberty, let's just review here what's going on. The ancient concept of liberty said that society should cultivate people to master their own selfish desires for the common good. But the modern concept of liberty is not self-rule, but self-fulfillment. The ancient person, not always, but often, understood that he should conform himself to the natural order of things, which was self-evident, and potentially pointed toward a greater good, a virtuous society. The modern person, however, is believed to be a free-acting, self-actualizing, autonomous being who has no bounds on himself, either by tradition or by nature. Now let's turn our attention to the biblical notion of liberty. And we should say at this juncture that the biblical notion of liberty has more in common with the ancient notion of liberty. While pagan societies could and did turn their backs on self-evident truths, as Paul tells us in Romans 1, they still were not afraid to speak about something called the common or the greater good. The difference between ancient societies and modern ones then is that the notion of liberty has been divorced from the common good. The biblical notion of liberty still retains this notion of a greater or a common good. But it looks beyond tradition, and it looks beyond nature, to the Scriptures themselves. Therefore, James can say in our text, The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer, Who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. The idea here is not just to be merely hearers of the word, but doers also. But this might need a little explaining. You see, in Paul's world, they had mirrors, just like we have mirrors today but their mirrors were made of metal, not glass. And so when you walk up in front of a mirror, it was not a perfect image like we have today when we use one of our mirrors. And so what you had to do, you had to look intently at that reflection to see yourself. James is saying that God blesses the person who not only looks very closely at the mirror of God's word, but then continues to come back to it again and again. The idea of the perfect law of liberty is a metaphor for Scripture. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. So, the perfect law of liberty is referring to God's word, the law of God, as a correct standard of conduct. Now, many people, when you start talking about the law, they think that you're only referring to the Old Testament and Moses. And the law of Moses. But as Reformed theologian John Frame says, everything in Scripture has the force of law. What it teaches, we are to believe. What it commands, we are to do. So why then is God's word said to be liberating? Why do we call it the perfect law of liberty? And here's the reason. Because it is a law producing freedom from the servitude of sinful passions. Let me say that again. Because it is a law producing freedom from the servitude of sinful passions. Now, we're not only talking about the Ten Commandments. We are talking about that. But all of Scripture is what we're talking about. All of Scripture provides a normative way of life for the Christian. Now, you might be thinking that the law, the law has nothing to do with my salvation. Or what does the law have to do with my Christian life? Now, you should think think about this very carefully of course the scriptures clearly teach that we're saved through we're saved by grace through faith and not by the works of the law but the scriptures also teach that as christians we still have moral obligations to god and to each other The Reformers taught that there are actually three uses of the law. First, the law has a civil purpose because it restrains the evildoer. Second, the law shows us that we're sinners, and so it drives us to Christ. Third, the law is a guide for the believer, and it shows our responsibility toward God. Now, think about this. We cannot understand the gospel without the law or apart from the law. And we cannot know what to do with the law because it condemns us without the gospel. Now, many people think that the Old Testament is all about law, 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 and the New Testament is all about Grace, grace, grace. But the truth of the matter is, is that the Old Testament is about law, grace. And the New Testament is about law, grace. We sometimes make a distinction about the laws in the Old Testament. There is the moral law, sometimes called the Ten Commandments. There are the ceremonial laws connected with the tabernacle worship. And there's the civil law found in the regulations meant for the people of Israel to govern themselves in the promised land. And while it is true that we're no longer under any obligation to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament because Christ has fulfilled those laws in His life and in His death, God's moral law as reflected in the Ten Commandments is still normative for us. And while it is true that we're no longer under the judicial system that Israel was under in the promised land, nevertheless, that still reveals what justice is and it still shows God's holy character. So we get to the New Testament, and Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, what commandments is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the moral law, or the Ten Commandments. And also, everything else he told us in the New Testament, and everything the apostles would tell us, that's what he's talking about. All scripture is normative for us. We are to live by God's word. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is a refrain of the Decalogue. As brought into sharp focus by Jesus, the one who gave us the law in the first place. When Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind," And with all your strength. And when he said, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he was giving a summary of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. So again, the perfect law of liberty implies that the law of God drove us to Christ, who saves us from our sin. Then, having been justified, we find God's law liberating because it tells us how to serve him and love him. So you can see that the biblical notion of liberty has little to do with the modern notion of liberty. The modern notion of liberty says serve yourself. But the biblical notion of liberty says, serve God with a whole heart. And when you consider that to be godless is nothing more than to live your life as if God did not exist, ignoring him, thinking that you are the center of the universe, thinking that you are a little God yourself, then you can see how an incorrect view of liberty can be utterly damning. So here's what you should walk away with today. The biblical notion of liberty would declare that the modern notion of liberty is a kind of enslavement. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience which leads to righteousness increasingly we live in times that pushes toward justice kennedy's notion of liberty that we get to define our own notions of existence of meaning that no force outside of ourselves No established authority, no prior commitments, not even the limitations of nature should hinder us from fulfilling our own desires, our own personal potential. But this is not the way of Christ. To the contrary, this is the way of enslavement. True liberty is found in knowing the mercy and the salvation of Christ and then walking in obedience according to God's perfect word, the perfect law of liberty. As we're told in John's gospel, when Jesus said, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, but the slave does not remain in the house forever. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's all stand to our faith at this time and affirm our faith together from the Apostles' Creed.